Hello and a warm welcome to episode 107 of the Building Sustainability Podcast. This episode is with Jenny Ford, who is a circular economy practitioner and consultant. I'm Jeffrey Hart, and every fortnight, join me as I talk to designers, builders, makers, dreamers, and doers. Together, we can explore the wide world of sustainability in the built environment by talking to wonderful people who are doing excellent things. So this is the first of two episodes with Jenny Ford that were recorded in Bristol in late October 2023. The second episode will follow in about a week or so, once I've had a moment to edit it down. This episode sees us returning to a more regular schedule of podcast releases. I'm very pleased to say that we have a whole host of episodes recorded and ready to go. I'm aware that 2023 has been somewhat patchy in terms of new episodes, but I am very, very happy to be thoroughly re-inspired to bring you lots more fantastic conversations. One episode that is yet to be recorded is a special Christmas chat with friend of the podcast, Mike Hill. And for that, we are throwing open the topics to you, our listeners. So if you've got a question or a thought or something you want us to talk about, uh, drop me an email. Uh, You can do that through the Building Sustainability website or through any one of the social media channels with questions you'd like answered, and we will do our very best. Another wonderful thing that is happening next year is that we are opening up the Nettlecombe Craft School for Courses. We have got a whole load of courses in traditional crafts uh, lined up, including basket weaving, bowl turning, brush making, lino printing, and a whole load more yet to confirm. Hopefully we can see you there for a lovely crafty time and a chinwag around the fire. Head on over to nettlecombecraftschool.com to book yourself a place now. Uh, In other event news, I will be talking at the ACAN, the Architects Climate Action Network and Natural Materials Group on the 13th of November about earthen floors. The whole session is around natural flooring and features industry leaders discussing different natural flooring options and build-ups. Also, I'll be there. Check the ACAN website for that if you want to be in the session. Otherwise, it will be available on their website and their YouTube channel. I will stick a link in the show notes. Um, As always, at this point, I take a moment to thank our new patrons. These are the folks who are financially supporting the podcast. New supporters this week are Sarah Hutchinson. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you to Anthony Brown, the coppice master himself. And finally, to Rob Brooks, who is on the higher tier and so is getting himself a hand-carved wooden spoon. Currently, I am working my way through some beautiful sycamore from the Nettlecombe estate. So look out for your spoon coming through the door sometime soon. If you would like to support this podcast, and it is independently produced by me, takes a lot of time, quite a lot of hard work, then uh, it would be really gratefully received. If you can support, then please do at patreon.com forward slash building sustainability. But equally, if you can't afford it, then enjoy this for free. As per usual, there is a whole host of links that are mentioned in today's podcast. They are in the show notes which accompany this episode. Also on the website, buildingsustainabilitypodcast.com. Check them out if you want to dive further into what's been talked about. Finally, when I came to edit this podcast, I was struck by just how much I seem to derail and distract from Jenny's excellent words. So uh, if you spot any slightly clunky editing, it's because I have snipped myself out for everyone's good um right that's it for me i am back at the end enjoy jenny ford i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. Can you do a brief summary of what you do? Um, yeah. Yeah? I can. Well, great. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I'm impressed. <laughs> um, I'm Jenny Ford. I am founder and project lead of Materials in Mind. And I have recently um, established or are in the process of establishing Factory X, which is to be a destination um, future of construction show park but also demonstrator of what's current practice in low carbon um, within the built environment industry. Um, I am a sector economy practitioner and consultant within Materials in Mind, and um, that's sort of built on a couple of roles that I've had since um, sort of a background in uh, as a CAD technician um, for right. engineered timber buildings. Okay. Um, followed by a master's in sustainable development pra- in practice. And then my first role out of that was working with Snug Homes on low carbon modular buildings. And I was a co-designer and materials um, lead and researcher. Mm-hmm. And more recently working with the tiny homes community as a sector economy consultant. Nice. Great. That is succinct. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I used to find it so difficult. And, and actually, I think everybody who knows me, has a real hard time telling other people what, <laughs> what I do. That I don't really get it. Um, but I think now that I've shifted um, a lot of what I talk about or how I frame things as circular economy, mm. because circular economy is actually like a, a much bigger thing. Yes. Um, but it can be nicely um, rounded up in that in that phrase. Um, then, you know, that's really useful for for me because then I can go into a conversation about what circular economy is mm-hmm. but I can just say I'm a circular economy practitioner and consultant yay nice easy <laughs> uh great can you just tell me what I tell people what I do now <laughs> um do we want to start with general hero <laughs> And now you've made me uncomfortable. <laughs> um, is there like a, a quick, what is circular economy? Yeah, because there's like the standard definitions from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Um, now Letty's got their um, circular economy primer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all, you know, can be simplified or as complex as you like. But when I think about it, it's really about... Um, using less Mm -hmm. to start with, making sure that things are joined up. So, you know, traditionally we have this linear economy where we are extracting materials from environments across the world. Um, We are turning them into products, generally short-lived products in a lot of cases. Fortunately, within the built environment industry that they have longer lives. So that is an advantage. But generally we do not have um, an economic model in place to then keep those materials in circulation. So we're constantly going back to that extraction point. So the circular economy for me there represents keeping the loop going. So putting in place infrastructure and importantly, um, that's the thing that I feel that we are super lacking mm-hmm. um, and putting in place yeah, the infrastructure to enable that circularity to happen and those loops to close. Um, And then finally around like the regenerative side is that we also need to be regenerating 
those resources and those um, materials and industries and economies and communities that we have been constantly extracting from. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, it, yeah, and it does cover all those things. It's not just, um, you know, regenerative design in terms of like biodiversity and and, and crops perhaps or um, land restoration, but it is much more about like the economies, you know, like all our small workshop industry spaces, um, you know, disappearing from our cities and towns. So like, how do we regenerate those kind of things? through this new infrastructure that we can put in place. Brilliant. Oh, you're good at talking. I'm very, very, uh, well, slightly jealous, actually. (laughs) So, um, so describe your, your sort of route into this in a bit more, more detail. Um, so as I mentioned, I did, um, a master's degree at at UE in sustainable development and practice. And what was really interesting about that is that it covered loads of different subjects. I was looking for something that was more built environment focused, but um, we also bought our first house around that time. So couldn't afford to commute and go somewhere more exotic. Uh, (laughs) So Bristol it was. And um, yeah, we looked at things like behavior change and systems thinking and, um, you know, food and fashion and, and all these different things. And then the built environment modules, but through that, my thinking was very much about distributed manufacturing. It was about localizing material flows. Um, and that was what my thesis was about. So it was um, very much looking at how we harness the materials that are flowing around our cities. And I interviewed a number of people um, through that process, um, including um, Jackson Moulding, who is the um, one of the directors, founding directors of Snug Homes. And uh, following that, he got in touch and was like, you know, give us a call when, you, when you're done nice. um, and let's have a chat. Um, because I think that they were, they'd been prototyping for a couple of years and they, they'd they kind of won this Grand Designs um, award, um, which was self-build on a shoestring. And it was really looking at how you transition or or utilise self-build thinking in a in a more modular, repetitive kind of scalable way, mm-hmm. um, and certainly like the conversation we had, I was like, I had no idea you were working on this. I, I'd come to speak to him about a slightly different subject, about what they did with Ecomotive and Snug Homes. Um, yeah, they were at this point where they um, were potentially lining up with this Innovate UK um, funding thing, and that was the Enabling Housing Program. Um, in Bristol and there was a number of different modular organizations so they had an opportunity to build a pilot home Mm -hmm. and they had a person who wanted to buy the home um, so that it could um, be utilized um, you know lived in um, and you know actually go into someone who was in housing need so it fit the agenda really really well Um, but yeah what they wanted to achieve was basically demonstrating you could build a small home, so not a tiny home, but a small um, footprint home. What's the sort of definition of small and that um, scale? So this was 22 square metres per floor, so 44 okay. square metres. So it had to be um, over minimum space standards, um, although there was a lot of complexity to that as well, <laughs> um, because minimum space standards in the in the context we discovered really only applies over one storey. Um, right, so okay. that whole standard applies to a single storey. Um, and there just hadn't been um, a, an ins- a, you know an instance of of a two story minimum space standards project new build um, right. so we were already you know hitting these kind of planning hurdles um, before we even got into like what we were building it from and how we were building it and how we made it mortgageable um, as a yeah as a modular home um, so basically it was a volumetric system. Um, we were building sort of small container-sized units um, from timber ring beams. Mm -hmm. And they had the basic um, sort of structure and material palette ready uh, when I joined. And this was like 2018. And I basically just interrogated all the material choices, looked at what they were trying to achieve um, values wise as a business so helping them define those um, mm-hmm. my role just like blew up it was basically <laughs> like join the team and get stuck in um and yeah I'm definitely like 
one of those people is like once you start the conversation it can go off in all sorts of different directions but definitely focused on the materials research um but how you make that align to an overall vision mm-hmm. um so you know whether we have like a manifesto or a um you know a vision piece around what snug homes was going to achieve um and which we did and which we put together very succinctly for our asbp award when we um nice. won project of the year that was that was <laughs> nice um and nice to see how well we aligned with with those six pillars as well mm. um but yeah very much like community so building it with and you know for the community um for it to be very low impact um and to be resourceful at all you know um as a sort of overriding vision and um to have like the social and economic benefits um as much as we could so again like with materials and purchasing wise i looked at um things like local economic um multipliers so there's okay. a thing called the LM3, and it enables you to track your spend. And um, we didn't use it on the pilot, but it's something that we would put in place for future builds. Um, and it's really, we were trying to spend as much lo- money with local businesses and smaller businesses. So if you buy online, your money goes out of a region uh-huh. on the whole. If you buy from a merchant's or a chain store, a small percentage will stay because that's wages, but the or, or site rent of that of that premises. But the majority of the money goes outside. And then if you spend with a, a, a local independent, then the majority of that money stays in. Obviously, the money um, for material purchase probably is is brought in, but mm-hmm. everything else about it stays locally. Um, so yeah, that's what we were trying to achieve there. And then yeah, generally making the material decisions so interviewing material suppliers um thinking about the the palette and what we could do so one thing i liked um modeling out and this was really fun was thinking about (laughs) the palette or menu um Mm -hmm. so that you could have a course um (laughs) a, a palette of materials that suited different like budget options and you know what you could include in that and how exciting you could make those mm-hmm. those palettes or those menus of materials um and so for us you know we were trying to achieve like a, a, a an very affordable home um and particularly we were, had a tight budget for the pilot um but looking at recycled cotton denim um mm-hmm. which again was a product i'd come through um come across through the asbp um cellulose so um working with warm cell um, and both Jackson and I had prior relationships um, with the team there. Um, the timber ring beams came down from Scotland, um, so they were. Um, did we get them from Scotland? I think we might have got them from elsewhere. You can timber ring beams <laughs> 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 from from wherever they came from. But we've explored several different relationships um, with them because uh, as we started building you know kind of new suppliers kind of appear and you can explore what you'll do next time and where you'll yes it's always kind of you know we're doing this now but in the future it might be or there's hope like you know this is going to be better and yeah can we reduce these you know transportation distances and and things like that so you can you start somewhere and Mm. there's always improvements it's like you know we've just done um i also led them through iso 9001 because it was the first step to getting um the BOPAS or similar um, NHBC plus what we need to have for a mortgageable um, Mm. home. And so you need to have ISO 9001. And that really is all about incremental improvements to the whole business operation. Um, So yeah, that was really fun. But yeah, we got to test out materials. We got to look at, um, you know, as as small as using our offcut of the denim insulation instead of using um, expanding foam around the window or, nice. or using like um, yeah, yeah. expanding tape stuff. So we we because it was a pilot, we had also this opportunity to experiment with what we used and where and to document it. So the other thing I brought into that project was a partnership with Cambridge University and their um, uh, shoestring digital shoestring project. And looking at, um, so we developed a, an app that we could use on the site, um, which was about um, quality, um, but it was really enabling us to record a process and record 
if it worked or not. So, you know, one of our one of our team could like install something or they would go to do the next thing and they would go, hmm, this doesn't look quite as I had expected or this mm-hmm. hasn't worked quite as expected. So they could record, record it on a picture, um, raise it to either the site manager or to the design nice. team. And That's it's then great. captured for us to review later and improve. Because on. normally you just get a grumpy builder going like, well, that's a stupid bloody idea. You know, obviously that's not going to work. This is... Uh, and that's as far as it goes. Yeah. And you know, whinge about it over a cup of tea and then... Yeah. And, you know, I think, again, that comes back to that ISO um, thing. If having these kind of, like, business... Um, things that you do within your business, as opposed to, you know, it just being a project... And this is the advantage with modular um, and is, and you know, when, when it comes to talk about factory X later, why I want to include all different types of construction, because as much as modular's kind of been gaining a, a, a bit of a negative rep because of like what's in, what's in the news. Um, but very little of that refers to these kind of small businesses that are mm. doing um, repeatable builds. Um, and let's just call them that because they might be kit of parts. They might be, you know, kind of timber frame approaches. But generally what you're trying to do is have a a fixed palette of materials, a repeatable process um, and a way to just have like that constant um, incremental improvement. Mm-hmm. So like I will always be aiming to kind of like have a similar structure at the end of it, but we can improve the ways that we achieve that um, on every single project we do. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was really interested about, um, their approach. The other thing we did was work with, um, early stage builders. Um, so there was a few green building master students, master students from CAT, um, Mm -hmm. and, um, some local community members and other volunteers from, you know, who'd heard about the project and who reached out and wanted to be involved. Um, and so they were very open to these approaches, um, and you know had, had didn't come with um sort of like that big knowledge bank of like i do this this is the way i've always done it um which can really be a setback when you're trying to implement you know lean construction practice or mm-hmm. or new materials it sort of seems to me like yeah there's like the the we do it this way because that's how it's always been done yep. builders and then there's sort of like a new breed of builder that's uh you know, thinking about it, wanting to improve it, all the things you're saying, like thinking about materials, thinking about waste, thinking about well-being of their employees. Well, actually, it's interesting because um, so I'm teaching future of construction um, boot camps. Um, mm. I don't like that word either. Um, skills, <laughs> skills boot camps. Let's for, just stick uh, all of the, the <laughs> phrases we hate in this one. <laughs> Um, for, for Wecker at the moment. And um, so the West of England Combined Authority, they've got like a skills agenda. Um, so it covers lots of things. So sustainable businesses, digital practice, um, and then they've got a construction um, interest as well because I think they've been looking at the areas which are, have been identified as having, um, you know, a, a severe decline in um, in labour mm-hmm. um, and just you know kind of like particularly with construction you've got an aging workforce and then quite um big skills gaps in in the areas that they're trying to like move forward and so like modern methods of construction is a big focus of those um boot camps and i think what's interesting like so there's the the bit of framing when you talk about modern methods of construction people can be like i have no idea what that is but actually most people have got some involvement with it Mm -hmm. particularly with the category six and seven which is site-based initiatives so either site-based processes like um you know looking out the window here and there's like a big um scaffold tent that enables you to build in all conditions that's essentially a modern method of construction right it's like bringing a factory condition to a site and then the product-based and um, efficiencies like large format materials or um, f- like concrete formers that, you know, you just bring to site and mm-hmm. poison it. Um, so, you know, a lot of people are really familiar with it, but we tend to call the people who are not working in these um, approaches um, conventional um, builders. Yeah. Um, and then there's the, the more polite one, which is like traditional building but then traditional for most people would refer to something else like traditional crafts and skills Mm. and it just yeah it's just confusing and I think that actually um it's more having a conversation about 
better practice in general. Um, you know, I understand the need for the for the category approaches because that's how you divide out, you know, volumetric construction from kit of parts from site-based initiatives. But this kind of division of, um, you know, who falls into, you know, old school, new school, like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a bit divisive. But um, what, what I think everyone can relate to is things like materials that are a joy to use, process that are a joy to use, processes that make a difference. If you can see that this, like, actually, like, I'm really frustrated every time I come on this site because it's like there's all this, like, rubbish outside and I just don't, like, I'd like to see that change. And there are obviously ways that we can, like, make that change. But it when you're working day-to-day as a builder, and this is, like, you know, when I was figuring out what role I would have, would I be an architect or did I want to like get involved on sites and then fell into this? I didn't really know what a consultant was. Um, <laughs> just like, I still don't know what a consultant is. <laughs> feeling it out every day. Um, but it's, it's having the ability to step away from the day-to-day activity and observe for me, I'm, you know, just observing everything all the time at the good things, the bad things and going mm. like, what if they tried this? What if you brought a bit of that practice to this scenario Mm -hmm. Um, and then having the ability to you know have that conversation with the people who can make those improvements Um, and I think then if you're talking about materials people who have had like you know been spent their life installing itchy insulation or having very like dusty materials that they've been working with and then you suddenly offer the potential for them to try something different but Mm. this actually can be worked with similarly um it's it's having the opportunity for them to find that material to have exposure to that particular you know um new opportunity is the tricky bit um but yeah i think everyone can be open to it once they um recognize that you know what they've been doing isn't like actually i don't really enjoy yes yeah it's like do you want a day installing rock wool or do you want to use sheep's wool? It's like you only need to use sheep's wool once to go, that's oh, it's really nice. I'm not itchy, my eyes aren't puffy, you know. Yeah, like the denim insulation one. We found the big pair of scissors that would oh, just nice. like cut that really nicely. Oh. Um, you know, I've used it when we had our retrofit survey for this place. Um, we had the thermal imaging um people from first thermal come around mm-hmm. and they identified a load of gaps under skirting boards and i just went to snug i was like can i just borrow a sheet of um <laughs> bring back a bat um and we've just been cutting strips off it and stuffing the gaps in the house um, Brilliant. and it's it's so nice because it's all squishy it's soft it's like yeah. i like yeah i've been using the indie nature hemp stuff yeah love it as a product it's quite hard to cut is my only negative maybe i just haven't got the technique i've got one of those insulation swords yeah it looks like a excalibur bread knife thing yeah it's just like finding the right way yeah um, and that is like you know um if you've been working in a particular way all your life you've got the method down mm. so if you change material um like i was saying earlier about working in this um uh in the office when i was um, a technician and you know the md was constantly trying to bring new sustainable initiatives um but it often meant changing your day-to-day practice as like you know as an office worker or in the factory environment um and people would be really like stop changing stuff but actually once you've made that change you're just going to be doing that every day Mm -hmm. so it very quickly becomes normal again (laughs) it's just like you can't see that the other side over that little hump mm-hmm. um yeah it's interesting but I, I mean that was that was probably exactly the reason that i got into all this was really about enabling people to get over that hump right nice a hump reducer <laughs> or like a yeah like giving people a, a booster yeah yeah um <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> So uh, how did that project kind of go with the, the snug, uh, uh, what did you call it? Not trial project? Yeah, pilot project. Pilot. Um, amazing. I mean, really, I mean, we. it was a, um, 
a purchased home. So mm. as much as it was a pilot in in as part of the Innovate UK program, it was also an end product. It was yeah, it was just our first home, which I guess is always the pilot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, we tested all the all the processes out, but we also had to be high quality. It had to be a livable um, home. It had to perform as we said it was going to perform, um, and we had to ensure because it was you know rented to someone that we could um form a relationship where we could get that post-occupancy evaluation mm-hmm. um which is a thing i think is missing from nearly all construction um you know no matter whether it's a resident or commercial or industrial space um getting that feedback is the only way that you ever going to make those improvements mm. um but yeah amazing it was um you know, that moment when the modules are taken away from the site we were building on. So we were um, leased a site by the council to build on, which mm-hmm. was an old community centre. And um, we built four modules on that site, which was the, the most we could we could build at the one time. And so it was the, the house was made up of four um, modules. So two came together on the ground floor, two on the top floor. And then they were transported, I think, under two miles to their final destination, which was a back garden site. Um, we had strip foundations um, for those. Um, and yeah, the day that it was like taken away, um, like we followed it in the in the car. Nice. Um, got a little video of it of it being transported and then landing on site and then being connected together. Um, and then, you know, then the top floor coming on. And then because we also designed the staircase, which was CNC'd, and the, you know, we we installed that beforehand, but um it, it essentially all has to fit together. Like this is the other thing with building like volumetric and, and um, kit of part type mm. buildings is that, you know, the quality, ha- the, the quality and accuracy has to be there no matter like whether you're building it in a, you know, a super factory or you're building mm. it in an old community center in the car park. Um, if the accuracy is not there, it's not going to connect and then you're going to have performance problems. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that the CNC staircase fit like a dream, um, the fact that all these modules went together, and we used the um, the denim insulation as a cushion between Ooh, them. Oh, nice! Um, yeah, and you know that, and again, those were kind of those materials research elements which we looked at all different. Or I looked at all different ways of buffering the two um, pods because you know they also need to be demountable at some point. You know, mm. we wanted to design for for demountability, for like reconstruction elsewhere. Um, obviously you'd have to take off all the timber cladding. Um, but yeah, to, to have that in mind, um, not necessarily that you would take the whole structure apart, but certainly to be able to reconfigure the modules or maybe expand it at mm-hmm. some point. Not so much in a back garden site, but you know, the potential, we wanted to explore the potential within the pilot because it, we had the opportunity to do that. Yeah. Um, and to maybe, you know, if you wanted to put a lean-to on part of it, you know, how would you do that? So we needed to be aware. We needed to understand the material um, connections and, and things like that. Um, yeah, it was amazing. And uh, we worked with um, local tradespeople. So we had like plum- local plumbers, electricians, roofers um, getting involved. Um, um, the solar was installed on site. We had a solar-assisted air source heat pump. Lovely. Um, We were looking for slimline rain um, butts for ages that weren't, like, uber expensive, Mm -hmm. um, but getting ones that we could mount on the side of the building. There's some nice ones out there, but they're, you know, when you're at the end of the the budget at that point, Mm -hmm. you're like, can we? I've been researching rain butts recently, and it's like, it's just a tub. <laughs> How can that be so expensive? Yeah. So kind of where I ended in in terms of what what we've got now is we've got a um sort of a materials register. We've got a preferred supplier list. Um, we've got a bit of a red list and a black list of like suppliers that we researched and we decided didn't really fit with the ethos of what we mm-hmm. were trying to do. Um, and that's I think that's really important for any company to consider. Um, we understood what waste we were generating. So as I was doing, because I did a lot of the drawings as well and then the 3D models um, during the construction phase, um, which is, yeah, <laughs> so multi-roles in this, in this <laughs> job. Um, then you're also able to kind of just about figure out what offcuts off you get and try and feed them back into other bits. But we basically wanted to, on a very kind of like regular basis, like weekly basis, measure what we'd produced in terms of 
waste. So we just had like recycling boxes and a digital luggage strap, um, um, nice. luggage yeah. wear. And yeah, we started recording it that way. Um, and most things could enter recycling streams quite easily. And then we could just bag things up in a, in a dumpy bag if we needed to get rid of a, a bigger amount. Um, but yeah, we never at any point needed a skip. Nice. Um, and that for me was was where I wanted to to be. I wanted to understand the process of recording waste. Um, and then just in terms of like appliances, um, fixtures and fittings, we also ended up with a document um, where I had presented kind of two or three best options. And that was through a combination of like um, ethical consumer and, um, you know, sort of different green guides on, on you know, be it low energy or, or low water use appliances and um, trying to find like the best resources so that even if a product wasn't available we knew where we'd researched it and and where might give us those kind of best options again mm-hmm. um and again like where we might buy them from so preferred supplier lists nice. ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Um, I was just thinking about the waste that came out of building my house. And I took the, I don't know if I ever shared the photo, but I took a photo of all of the rubbish bags that I filled during the the, um, the length of construction. And it sounds like my house is probably maybe a quarter of that build. Um, but most of my waste was plastic wrapping that insulation came wrapped in. Yeah. And it's that, that soft plastic waste. And I was like, you know, the co-op had just, put those uh, soft plastic bins outside yep. thing. And I was like, if I went down every day <laughs> with, <laughs> with one insulation bale wrapping and stuffed it in yeah. there, you know, could I get rid of it all that way? Um, yeah, it's interesting. Like it's, it's like being conscious of that stuff is so, so important. Isn't yeah. It? And, and tracking, monitoring, yeah. recording. And so much easier when you've been involved in the design process because you you um I think you take away a bit more because most of the waste generated that you don't expect is wrapping or like you know tape backing so for Mm. the more high performance a building is like membranes tend to um be be quite usable because you don't really have any sort of backing to it and you can use other bits for patching so it's useful to hold on to that stuff um but the the air tightness tape and things like that. I mean, it's literally the same amount of, well, because of core. So slightly more waste than the stuff you use because mm-hmm. you also get all the bits of tape that you don't end up using, all the backing. So yeah, you use less of the whole material you receive from mm. your supplier. Um, and yeah, I worked with a, a friend who was also on the Snug Project um, and he was building a, a house just outside of Bath at the same time. Um, and we basically unpacked his skip um, and put everything in piles. Nice. Kind of forced him into it. So just like, <laughs> I just want to come and see in your low carbon passive house. I think it was building a passive house. Um, and you know that it's, you know, it's got a lot of um, different types of polystyrene, like the really hard glassy mm-hmm. stuff through to the kind of like regular. Um, and then all the, yeah, the tape backing, um, but like straps, like off, like the kind of straps you get on dumpy bags. Um, but yeah. just straps. Mm. There were like long links of them. I don't know what they were binding together, but mm. I've got all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there were like um, these boxes that had, um, so the boxes all got damaged because they were cardboard and they'd been left in the skip, but they had the plastic 
handle holder so you mm-hmm. could take out the, the the plastic frame bit and the handle and yeah. I was like I'm gonna make new packaging things with it I haven't yet I tried to help someone out in Sparks the other day <laughs> with one, but, um, yeah it was just really interesting unpacking everything and seeing that even from you know a, a, an environmentally sensitive project um that the the wastes are you know are still quite generic Yes. Um, one of the things I, a sort of decision I made during my build was to stop using uh, wool insulation that's got plastic in it. And like the plastic is there to create the volume which keeps the, the insulating. And I, I so desperately want to use British wool yeah. for insulation. It's, you know, just such... It's such an obvious choice. But to realise that I spent a day doing kind of wood fibre insulation and wool insulation, and then all my sweepings at the end of the day, I was like, well, I can't. Yeah. I can't. I can't just sweep them out the door. I can't do it. No, exactly. All the wood fibre stuff, it just went into a big heap in the garden. Yeah. And then suddenly it's like, oh, that's microplastics. Ah, yeah. so frustrating because it's such a brilliant thing yeah i mean it's it's really great that we have a a a really burgeoning like bio-based materials industry and i think a lot of people i mean um on the um acan um chats for various different subjects but yeah natural materials is one of the groups that i'm on Mm -hmm. um and that was sometime yeah earlier in the year there was like one of those kind of like endless streams every time you kind of turn whatsapp back on it was still the same conversation um of like does this have a polymer binder does this have oh my god i didn't know that um and yeah i mean i'd only come across it with some of the materials we were using but we used cellulose which which was which was great um and the denim insulation um i can't remember now um but generally you know that was it can't you can put that back into textiles mm-hmm. um waste streams um but yeah other, other than that we didn't really use um any others that we needed to particularly research so we still yeah when i came across that i was that was quite eye-opening um but i've been able to regurgitate that information to quite a lot of people now and go did you know um because, yeah, you would hope that you could just, yeah, sweep it out the door. That's why I want to use a, a bio-based <laughs> yeah. material. Um, yeah. Yeah, local. it was one of the drivers for me using this material. <laughs> <Yes>. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it was funny. Like, there was just that suddenly sweeping up and being, like, you know, very conscious of my bin bag. I actually, I could say it was because of it, it was research or it was laziness because I was building it at the top of a hill. But I kept all my bin bags for like the duration of the build. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Realizing that. I, was like, I would say like just on sort of to wrap up um, what uh, some of the materials we used on the on the snug. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, I wanted to demonstrate reuse of materials and I wanted to demonstrate sort of using. So we wanted to have a balance between um, natural materials Um recycled content high recycled content i've been reading a lot i actually in my degree i researched a lot of the wrap work um and they no longer do stuff with construction um mm-hmm. focus but they produced some really interesting stuff around how to drive the um higher recycled content in building products and what we really should aiming for across the manufacturing industry um so for closed loop recycling ideally is wrap standing for something um i'm sure it does <laughs> Waste and Resources Action Program. Okay. Let's say. <laughs> I can I can double check that. Um, but yeah, RAP, they are involved with um, researching um, waste across all different industries. Um, they work a lot around like food and mm-hmm. food and Correct. beverage stuff. Yeah. Um, but they did do a lot of work in construction um, and that's sort of all finished. That's all wrapped up now. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> No way. So yeah, I had these kind of goals, and we in Froom there was an organisation um, that I'd also um, researched and, and interviewed um, called Stormboard, 
Um, mm. And they they were actually a, um, a plastics machinery manufacturing company called Protomax. And they're based in Europe, I think, where the, the guy was in Froome, but um, Nick was in Froome. And they manufactured this plastic machinery, plastic making machinery for the industry. And he decided he wanted to make one that could work with non-recyclable plastics. Um, okay. And so they designed this piece of kit called the P2. And it's actually a whole factory setup. You know, you need a small factory to put the P2 inside it. And it's um, several bits of kit in a, in a sort of sequence and essentially they would take um plastic that had you know um like integrated foil backings and stuff that was quite hard to separate i mm -hmm. mean i think a lot of random plastic came to them as well but also um hangers um you know awkward stuff basically mm -hmm. um and so where as companies like smile plastics um are kind of producing sort of like more high-end um very you could like they really focused on what the pattern of the different plastics that were being recycled and going into them when they pressed it. It was all like beautiful patterns. Mm -hmm. Stormboard was really, he set it up to um, um, sort of intercept the hoardings market. He was fed up with seeing like timber hoardings um, that were using kind of virgin materials. They were being painted with loads of synthetic paint and they would still degrade um, you know, year by year, probably only in place ever for a maximum of like four years. And you can tell them they're really decrepit mm -hmm. there and they just get replaced with more virgin timber. Um, and so he was like, well, we could just create eight by four sheets of this recycled plastic, create these big heat presses um, that are really like robust um, sizes. And they even designed a sort of um, uh, like a scaffold um, or a ballast system for okay. them. Okay. Um, but it was so hard to um, talk to anyone in construction because basically when you put hoardings up, um, it's a, you know, when you're doing your, um, your the, uh, what I'm looking for, like um, the costings, mm -hmm. like every time you paint the hoardings, you're paying a labourer and you're buying paint and there's a markup on both of those things. So every time you do that, your client is paying you the markup. So, or they might not be making any money, uh, much money on it. You're making some money on the fact that you've gone down this particular material route, which is oh, ridiculous. Goodness. And so I'm sure for a few other reasons around like confidence or, you know, not really wanting to disrupt what your normal mm -hmm. business as usual is, um, he found it really hard to to intercept so he was finding other uses but you could use it as shuttering for concrete yeah. um garden centers were using it he designed a few kind of like emergency shelter buildings and you know plastic's not always right for all these applications um but actually um i mean i would love to see it as hoardings i think it's a perfect application for it because also if they break you just put it back into that recycling system so it's yeah closed loop but um, we used it um, for some exterior panels um, on the snug and we used it as our um, sort of baseboard around the bottom. Um, so e externally? Externally. So when um, our building went onto the strip foundations, you've got the gap um, to ground. And so underneath and below the cladding, we just had a sort of cut sheet of that. But the things that you need to remember, and like you're saying with the sweepings, is that you've got to be careful where you cut those materials because mm. then they're just going into the environment. Um, so doing it, making sure that you either, you know, hoovering, doing it on a clear space, either, you know, on a plastic sheet, you know. So just so that, um, yeah, when you work with materials like that, that you're also thinking about what you're using, the way you're cutting it, and what waste it's generating, you know, what dusts and stuff. Yes, I suppose, I, I suppose, I don't think that's Do a know? word. <laughs> um, there is also, like, what happens, does it break down sunlight? That's my, like, I struggle with sort of recycled plastics and that sort of thing, especially because it's like, you know, of course we need to do something with what is currently waste. Yeah. But also... Is plastic really a good product at all? Yeah. Like in those situations? I mean, even more so in our interiors, um, you know, the amount of plastic mm. things. Um, you know, I've been doing quite a lot around indoor air quality at the moment. And that was something that we talked at great lengths about within the snug. I mean, we had an, an MBHR, but we also wanted to put a um, 
a monitoring system in there and do a test before the um, the resident moved in. Mm. And then essentially you're kind of advised not to do a test six months later because the, you're sort of at the peak of off-gassing at that point. What with is, your new sofa and <laughs> all of the... All the just everything settling and all the, mm. yeah, sort of at, at peak point. So, you know, uh, ideally you test it when you... Um, when everything's just gone in and then like a year later and you can okay. do subsequent tests but what would have been really nice if we'd have found an affordable sort of particulate um, mm. monitor um, monitor um, monitoring device uh, yeah and and again I did quite an extensive bit of research on that and we didn't really find um, the best thing I think Waverton Analytics had a, a sort of test tube thing so you could actually go in and do a physical test and they right. tested for all sorts of levels of, of different um, gases and, and substances and particular. Um, do you know things. Ikea do one now? Do they? Mm. George, uh, archetype George, yeah. um, he was just posting on Twitter about it. And it's like 40 quid. Uh, I wonder what it tests for. Yeah, it was definitely it particulate matter. Uh, I don't think it had CO2, which is what I really want to get because i really want to dial down my um how good or how hard i need to run my mvhr exactly i think that's um yeah that's a an absolute must-have isn't it in those if you're making anti buildings yes 100 um yeah and i like i agree with um that i think i wanted to use Stormboard because I wanted to talk about it. Yeah. And we had some applications where we could test it. It wasn't in, you know, direct, um, you know, the, the faces we used it on weren't, you know, constantly exposed to sunlight and things. Um, but I think, yeah, I think the hoarding application for me is is such a good way to go um, because it's, you know, it's far enough away from, you know, people. It's not, you know, directly in your in your living environment. Mm-hmm. Um and it's dealing so what yeah what i think with um plastics recycling is it needs like we need more of it it needs to go into the right um products and you know particularly when you've got non-recyclable plastics or complex you know composite materials these these kind of initiatives are really good but i think that those companies and what i quite liked about um nick's approach um and you know having this protomax deciding that they wanted to make the the p2 machine um is that they feel like an agile business mm-hmm. and again that was another theme that i wrote heavily about and what i'm really kind of interested in pushing with factory x is, is this idea of the need for constant change and innovation within businesses so that we can't sit still we sat still for way too mm-hmm. <laughs> way too long um and yeah, agility and, you know, kind of um, feeling like we're in control of de-risking stuff mm-hmm. um, is really important. Um, and testing things out if they don't work, you know, it's, it's not a problem. That's like research and development. Like, yes, that's what that's, it's all about. That's learning. Yeah, absolutely. Just, yeah, like lastly on Snug is, yeah, we won a ton of awards. So yeah. it was amazing. Most <laughs> recently, two Rebra Awards. Would you have it? really like, yeah we went we we just bought tickets to the reba thing because that we'd been on shortlisted mm. but we just thought we'd go for a jolly and have a nice dinner yeah and, <laughs> and then we got called up once and then we got called up again it was so unexpected that was very fun nice um, yeah but yeah we 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 got lots so it's really nice to be recognized for it we have a number of projects in planning and we have a tiny house um proper tiny house that um is just about near completion. Just yep. waiting for some external cladding bits to go on. We we couldn't decide what to finish it in. We had all sorts of ideas. So, what? Um, obviously, I my ears have pricked up at tiny house. <laughs> uh, what? Um, how's that? What's that? So essentially, it's one module mm-hmm. um, where we used four together to make the yep. the, the, the smaller the, or the standard snug. So the the forty four square meter snug is a one person one bed within space standards mm-hmm. um so you could legitimately build it in places um the tiny house is taking the single module design but extending it a little bit taller mm-hmm. um 
still within what you can transport obviously like you know I listened very astutely to your episode on <laughs> all the considerations for like transporting oh a, yes a unit, yeah, like yeah. what kind of vehicle you're gonna move it on the back of oh and, my goodness you know because there's so much that goes into figure and the weight mm-hmm. stuff obviously um uh yeah so we were able to take um the snug tiny a little bit higher um and it's got a mezzanine nice. floor um like a mezzanine you're allowed to call a sleeping loft or not? Um, I'm not sure how they're sort of marketing the... Because it's cause it's a tiny house. It doesn't mm. really sit within... Yeah, it falls between the cracks. Yeah. Um, but I guess it's, it's, you know, it's adding to that conversation. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, but yeah, hopefully, you know, uh, it, as a like a sort of um, rentable unit or... Um, yeah, as a sort of extra bit of accommodation for an existing house or, yeah, I don't know. Um, it was just, we wanted to explore it. It's one of, um, this where Snog was kind of born, mm-hmm. um, you know, with this interest in tiny houses and self-build. So, yeah, just nice. seeing what else we can come up with. Oh, my friend uh, Hugh was working for Snog for a bit. Yeah. And he said that every morning they read out one of Emma's, Emma Appleton's, yeah, uh, hundred ways. ways. And I was like, yes. Yeah, it's it, it's really lovely actually. And I shared um, my last um, session with the skills boot camp mm. is traditional versus modern cultures. Mm. And I kind of go through material cultures, and I go through um, health and safety culture, and um, yeah, these kind of like on-site efficiencies versus um, you know other standard practices um waste cultures and things um and the other one that i came i, that I like to touch on is the hundred ways and mm-hmm. that is just you know day-to-day kind of culture of being on a building site um and to yeah and so in and especially when we talk a little bit about the health and safety or the um um you know sort of this increase in sort of fairness um equality respect and uh, all those kind of aspects and the mental health issues that surround a lot of um, construction workers. Um, mm. Yeah, it's 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 really important. Um, and yeah, the hundred ways is just such a, a lovely thing to like <laughs> to like bring into that morning um, morning check in, have a cup of tea. Yeah, someone picks a number, and that's our mantra for the day. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that makes me so happy. (laughs) (laughs) A huge thanks to Jenny. Really insightful stuff. If you have enjoyed that, then join us for the next episode where Jenny introduces the incredibly exciting Factory X. As I mentioned, there is a big old list of links in the show notes. Those include Materials in Mind, the Ellen McCarthy Foundation, the Letty Circular Economy Primer, Snug Homes, LM3, Recycled Denim Insulation, the ASBP, that's the Alliance for Sustainable Building Products. Uh, Make sure you check out all the excellent stuff that they've got going on. ISO 9001, Digital Shoestring. ACAN Natural Materials, uh, link to their YouTube as well. Stormboard, the IKEA Air Quality Monitor. Uh, there is a link to Emma Appleton's 100 Ways, both the website and to the episode that she recorded for this podcast. Uh, there's a link to episode 61 with Duncan Baker Brown, which is all about the circular economy in the built environment. So if this episode has picked your interest, then head on over there for loads more brilliant examples. If this was your first episode and you have enjoyed it, then make sure you check out all 106 other episodes and make sure to hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any future episodes. Equally, if you've enjoyed this episode, then please do take two seconds and give it a quick share. Really helps me out. And if you find this podcast really useful, then please do consider supporting via the Patreon link. Uh, It's in the show notes. Your support helps me out and you also get loads of bonus episodes and content currently standing at around 10 hours worth. That's it from me. Wishing you all the best. Bye bye. 
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. On Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.